This is episode number 78 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health, and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, Jesse here. Before we dive into today's To Birth and Beyond episode, I want to tell you that there are only a handful of tickets left to my in-person one-day workshop in Toronto, Canada this September 15th. The event is called Postnatal Fitness Specialist Live and it is for any fitness and health professionals or anyone who has a strong interest in postpartum exercise and pelvic health. I will be leading this six-hour day, and we're so lucky to have Anita with us on part of that day as well, as she will be teaching a session on pelvic floor anatomy and assessment and giving her perspective as a pelvic health physio working with postpartum people returning to fitness, exercise, life, and sport. So in addition to that, on this day, you'll also be learning how to assess for diastasis recti on a variety of bodies, techniques for cesarean scar massage, strategies for coaching a client in fitness who is very early postpartum, and for those who are moving into higher intensity and higher impact training. And lastly, what I think is so important that we'll be covering is how to speak to your clients about body image in an intersectional way, particularly how we can be practitioners if you are a practitioner joining us who practices from a weight neutral and health at every size perspective. So there are only 20 seats total for that day, but we only have a few of those remaining. We would absolutely love to have you. The magic of in-person events is untouchable, and I cannot wait to be in community with you on September 15th in Toronto. If you want to join us when you want to grab one of those last tickets, go to programs.com jessiemundell.com slash pfsa dash live that will be in the show notes of today's episode and if you have any questions at all you can email me or dm me on instagram and facebook happy to help Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. Jesse Mundell here, and we're so lucky to be having a conversation that has been in the works for a little while. We've been trying to set this up, um, but life is a little bit wild and different for our guest that we have today, and that is Snegazon. Snags, thanks so much for being with us today. 
Absolutely. My pleasure. So Snags and I have known each other for a very long time, although we haven't reconnected in years. So we met in university at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, which is actually my hometown. And I'm pretty jealous that you're still there. (laughs) Yeah, it's really nice. And right now we're enjoying the Kingston summer, which is absolutely beautiful. It's the best ever. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to be back there in about a month. So I'm going to need to catch up with you in person. Nice. Nice. That'd be amazing. Yeah. So we met doing our undergraduate degrees in physical education. And that was in 2005. We graduated in 2009. So it's been 10 years. It's probably been 10 years since I've even seen you. Yeah, probably. Yeah. We've kept kept in contact for the last, I don't know, four years, I guess. Yeah. So, so let's talk about how that happened. That was really mm-hmm. because I, so obviously my work is in fitness and pelvic health. And then your work is as a physiotherapist, mm-hmm. which is for those who are listening outside of Canada or specifically in the U S a physiotherapist is what we call a physical therapist same thing. And then specifically your work is also in pelvic physio, which is the coolest ever. It's so awesome. Yeah. So uh, we connected through that. And then you also came into our two pregnancy and beyond program through your pregnancy, correct? That is very, very, very correct. Yes. And now that baby is how old? She is now two and a half. Two and a half. So yes. Yeah. So wild. Okay. So then through this whole, through this whole last couple of years, you've also been dealing with a whole other side of life. Um, in addition to working as a pelvic physio, mothering this tiny baby, who's now a toddler, uh, being married to your husband, living your life, this whole other side was a diagnosis with cancer. Yes. So can you just talk us through what, what has that been like? What's the backstory of that diagnosis? When was this? What were your warning signs? What were the first steps in that journey? Well, it's really hard because as a physio, you're, you're taught the warning signs of cancer and I had none of them. So in the later stages of pregnancy, around seven or eight months, I started um, noticing some blood in my stool, which is super common. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm, those must be internal hemorrhoids. Yeah. Um, because super, super common. So I didn't think anything of it. Um, I increased my fiber. I just was very wary of like how I went to the bathroom, all this stuff. And then um, I had Zoe. And then I was so afraid that these internal hemorrhoids became external. And I still noticed... Um, some blood in my stool, and some little tiny hemorrhoids, no big deal. So I was correct in my assumption. Um, But I also noticed that I started going to the bathroom like six to 10 times a day, like having six to 10 bowel movements a day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is not normal. Mind you, I know that pregnancy plays a really weird thing on your body um, and can mess with your digestive tract. So I mentioned it to my midwife and my midwife and I, we just tried to um, first cure the hemorrhoids um, to see if that was it, um, which it wasn't. And then we played with an elimination diet 
cut out gluten for two weeks, reintroduce it, cut out dairy for two weeks, reintroduce it. We played with a whole bunch of things and I was like, there's something going on. And um, I know pelvic health and I know my pelvic floor and I knew that it had nothing to do with my pelvic floor. And I was like, I know that I just had a baby, but this has nothing to do with like my muscles, my ligaments, my everything it has nothing to do with this. And I mentioned it to my doctor and my doctor just, just blew me off essentially, mm-hmm. um, which is really unfortunate. Um, she just kept saying like, oh, you just went through pregnancy and you just went through um, a nat- like I had a vaginal delivery um, and your body plays um, crazy roles in your body. And, um, and that must be it. I was like, there's something else going on. I know it has nothing to do with pregnancy. And um, I then spoke with, um, uh, shoot, uh, the nurse practitioner and was like, you need to take some blood tests. You need to take like stool samples. You need to get on top of this. And we did all the tests and everything was fine. And it came, everything came back normal. And I was like, well, there's something going on. Um, so they sent me to um, a GI specialist who did a sigmoidoscopy, which is um, a, essentially like a colonoscopy, but you're not under, you just do an enema. Um, mm-hmm. And then they just stick up the little tube just into your sigmoid colon. So not like the whole way. Mm-hmm. And um, they couldn't even get past into the sigmoid colon because they found a tumor mm-hmm. right at um, the corner of my rectum and my sigmoid. And instantly my life has changed. And I remember getting up from that table and I remember looking at the nurse and I looked at her and I was just like, I, this can't be like, I literally just had a baby at this month. At this point, Zoe was four months old. And how can I have a completely healthy baby and not know the warning signs? Like all the warning signs are like increased weight. Of course they increase weight or decrease weight. Like a significantly decreased weight, like significantly Mm -hmm. increased weight, significantly decreased weight, blood in my stool, like all the things, all the things that are like of pregnancy. So I didn't see any warning signs. Um, So it was rough. Oh my gosh. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm just imagining also you going through all this through that fourth trimester, those early months postpartum, like what a nightmare. Oh my God. I remember Zoe was four months and she was going through her four months sleep regression Mm -hmm. and I was up all night still trying to breastfeed. Um, breastfeeding is safe while you are have cancer, by the way. And, um, I remember being up all night and I remember holding her at three in the morning, staring at my husband, who was having like a perfect sleep and me trying to like rock this baby back to sleep being like, and then me having this cancer diagnosis and me looking at my husband and me being like, I fucking hate you. Yeah. (laughs) Having like a completely good sleep and me just going through, just dealing with Zoe and dealing with everything, the mental, everything. And just me looking at him. Oh, I just hated him at three in the morning, but that's very normal for everyone, whether you have this diagnosis or not. So, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Normal if you don't have this diagnosis. So then layering Mm -hmm. that on, holy shit, I can't imagine. Okay. So, so they diagnosed it and then what? And then, um, and then came like the big, I don't know. 
it just, my world changed like very quickly. Um, I remember when I got the diagnosis, they called me cause I told them they could call me and Zoe at the time I had to try to put her to bed and she was crying and I just got the diagnosis. It was the worst hour of my life trying to put the screaming baby to bed and me just knowing I had cancer. And at that moment I realized I was going to sleep train. I was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm yes. going to sleep train this baby yeah. because I can't deal with this. Um, and then we um, started radiation planning because we were going to do radiation first. Um, and from there I had um, the, uh, for about a month, the talk of you can't have a baby anymore to yes, you can have a baby. No, you can't. Yes, you can for about a month. So my emotions of knowing I can have a second child just went up and down and up and down. Um, cause when you're on chemo, it can kill your ovaries, but they had a plan to suppress my ovaries and put me into temporary menopause. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a minor surgery called ovarian transposition. So they moved my ovaries from my pelvis to just above my rib cage. Um, just so they were out of the line of fire of the radiation cause they were going to radiate my pelvis. Um, and that was the final decision maker that if they were going to radiate my pelvis, it would also radiate a little bit of my uterus. So it would deem my uterus unviable. Mm-hmm. So uh, the decision to have another child was taken away from me. Um, and even though my ovaries were moved, so there was a chance that maybe later on we could have another kid by trying to maybe save some of the eggs um, and have a surrogate. And instantly, oh my God, I love my friends. I love my family. I had so many people call call me and message me and tell me that they would just be my surrogate for me, which was was incredible to to hear. Um, But that never came to fruition at all. because later on, obviously, I got diagnosed again. So anyway, so went through radiation, um, which sucked because it played a huge um, game on my bowels. Um, I don't know if anybody has Crohn's or colitis out there, but Jesus, I empathize with you because to have that pain of not being able to pass stools through your bowels because they're so inflamed um, was just terrible. So um, my, my role as a pelvic health physio came into play a lot there because I was trying to um, massage my stomach, the ILU massage to try to get things moving, um, using a squatty potty to, um, to, to, support my bowel movements mm-hmm. um and um in order to breathe right while having constipation or, or having trouble with bowel movements and not having to strain and all this stuff like I'm lucky that I am a pelvic floor physio because I knew what to do in that case yeah. um they were also radiating my pelvic floor so it kind of I don't know how it is in other parts of the world, but here they just 
I started my radiation and they gave me a set of these terrible plastic dilators and they're just like, here, good luck. Um, your pelvic floor might um, become hardened from the radiation. So your job is to try to keep it open as much as possible through the work of dilators. And luckily I knew what to do. Um, oh my God. Yeah. So they gave me, they just threw me some dilators and they're just like, good luck. They didn't oh. tell me how to use them or anything. Um, yeah. So that was interesting. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. I so. just, I think like all these intersections of your career with this is so mm-hmm. fascinating and exactly yes. what, like all the things you're saying and how other people, like you just get thrown some plastic, like probably horribly uncomfortable dilators at yes. you and people are like, oh, okay, great. Yes. And then it's super uncomfortable and painful probably if they are trying to insert those and then what do they do? Exactly. Exactly. I, I don't even know. I, it was as much as I was going through everything and trying to raise the baby and all this stuff, I wanted to just become the pelvic floor physio for the hospital because they just did not have the proper education to yes. tell their patients. All they wanted to do was help others. I was like, I can't believe that they're throwing these and not educating people of what to do. Um, so that was, that was hard. Luckily, I didn't have to use dilators because I was still having intercourse with my husband mm-hmm. up to twice a week. So that kept my pelvic floor mobile. Um, so I didn't have to use the hard plastic dilators. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, the ones that I give my patients are much more, more silicone and softer base. So yeah. I would never throw those at my patients. Yeah, awful. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk about what that radiation like was? How often were you going through that? What did that look like? Sure. Um, so I had 20, 28 rounds of radiation. Um, so I went in every day for 28 days except on weekends. Um, so for over a month and a half, I went in and they went, they, they first do radiation planning, which is um, you go in and they do a CT scan and they map out exactly where they want to radiate. So they put tiny little marks on your, um, your body, which are tattoos, uh, tattoos. So they tattoo the little marks on you. So that every single time that you go in for radiation, it's lined up exactly how they want it. Um, I went in every time I went stomach down and they radiated essentially my butt. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's where the cancer was. It was in my rectum and my colon and my sigmoid colon. Um, so they radiated that area. Um, yeah, for 28 days straight, um, just going in and just getting the shot of it. It didn't even hurt. I luckily did not get any, um, skin issues. Most people get some skin burning and like second to third degree burns. And luckily I did not get any because if I did, that would have been right on my vulva and on my perineum. And (sighs) I would not have liked that. Um, Yes. So luckily I did not get that, but that is one of the common things. Um, And um, yeah, that's, that's radiation for you. 
Okay. Um, so was there anything else happening with your treatment during radiation or that was it for now? Um, at the same time, they gave me oral chemo. Okay. So because of the chemotherapy, I was starting uh, around five, six months postpartum. No, five months postpartum. Um, I was forced to stop breastfeeding, mm-hmm. um, which for me was, uh, I don't know, it was a struggle um, because around three months, Zoe um, my daughter, Zoe, um, she decided not to latch properly. I went to a lactation consultant. Um, I had everything from like a nipple shield. Um, we tried everything to get her to go back on the nipple and I succeeded. I was so proud that I got her to go back on the nipple. And then all of a sudden they told me to stop breastfeeding. So everything that I fought for was <laughs> then taken away from me. And then I'm sure a lot of moms feel this, that there's this society's pressure put onto us that breast milk is best. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I was stuck in this mindset that, oh my God, I have to give her the best that is possible. And she was taking breast milk and I can't believe I'm switching to formula. I'm a terrible mom and all this, ter- like these terrible thoughts went into my head. And, um, as soon as I switched her formula, it just, it just changed. I was just like, you know what? I don't even care that she's not getting breast milk. She's getting milk and she's getting fed. And I can't believe society, society's expectations of breast milk is best is not accurate. I think that whether you're just fed is best. Yeah, absolutely. Just, Just fed is best and absolutely no judgments after that on people who breastfeed or, formula feed or whatever you decide to do. But I went through that struggle for a while to switch um, to from breastfeeding to formula. Um, she, um, she, she switched pretty easily, um, which was nice, but because of the chemotherapy, I was forced to stop breastfeeding. So at the same time of radiation, I went on chemotherapy and had to stop breastfeeding. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just so many big emotional things all happening Mm -hmm. at once for you all. Yes. So So, many. Yeah. Oh gosh. So how long was the chemotherapy that time? Um, The chemotherapy was, I think only about two months. Um, I only took about, I only took an oral chemo at the same time I was doing radiation. Um, And then we took about a month break before I had my major surgery. Okay. to remove everything. Okay. What was that surgery like? So they, because my uterus was deemed unviable and because of where the cancer was sitting, um, they, they take out the cancer and then they also take out some healthy tissue to give some margin of error of like, just in case the, the cancer is spread. Mm-hmm. And my uterus also sat in that circle of margin of error So, um, at the same time of taking out the top half of my rectum, my entire sigmoid colon, and they also took out my uterus. So I had a hysterectomy at the same time. Mm -hmm. So even though I had a vaginal delivery in the same year, I had essentially a C-section like Mm -hmm. scar, um, and shout out to all the moms that have had C-sections. Jesus 
friggin' price. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Like uh, after waking up and having the C-section like scar, I could not imagine carrying an, a six to 10 pound baby at the same time. Like turning over was the hardest thing in the world. I don't know how moms do it after C-section. Uh, like medals should be given. Um, medals for everyone medals for everyone because it was ridiculous like I did not have to carry a baby um but I I was I I can't believe it um so I had a c-section like scar um because they had to remove everything and then at the same time to let um what they did was they took my descending colon and attached it again to the top part of my rectum um, so they took two tubings essentially and put them together and, and allowing that to heal, um, they give me an ileostomy. So an ileostomy, um, is essentially, um, like a colonostomy or col- everybody knows what a colostomy bag is, mm-hmm. but an ileostomy bag is at this end of your small intestine to stop any stool from going into the large intestine they give you an ileostomy at the tail end of your small intestine. So all the stool that I made for six months would go into this little bag on the side of my belly Mm -hmm. um, that I had to empty every few hours. So on top of having a hysterectomy, a total resection of the cancer, um, I also had an ileostomy. And after this major surgery, I was also the hardest part for me, um, physical stuff I can deal with. I can deal with a lot of physical pain, Mm -hmm. but the hardest part was being told that I can't carry or hold Zoe for six to eight weeks. Mm, Yeah. Um, to be told that as a mother that you can't hold your own kid is the hardest thing ever. Like I'm already going through hell Mm-hmm. And she's my rock. And to be told that I can't carry her is, is really hard. So I went through a lot of emotional um, struggles with that. Um, so I had a lot of friends um, come over every day, every single day. Um, I wanted to provide the best possible care to my daughter. So every day when she got back from daycare, Um, a friend would come over and they would be in charge of taking her outside and taking her for a walk or taking her to the park or something just so she would get some vitamin D, um, my, before my husband comes home. So every single day I had friends come over, they signed up and they took Zoe out and they, um, if I was well enough, I would walk, which once again, if you had a C-section, you also know how hard it is that you can't do anything for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I recovered pretty quickly from the C-section like scar. Um, I was able to walk, so I would go on walks with friends and I, they would be in charge of holding Zoe and moving her onto the swing and whatever else. So, um, that was hard. Yeah. Oh gosh. That sounds, yeah. We'll talk about more of the mental and emotional stuff too, I think, further as we get into this. But I also just want to say, just from watching this from a distance, it looks like your friends have stepped up in the most amazing ways. Yes. I'm very lucky um, because my family and my husband's family don't live in Kingston. So um, we, 
are by ourselves here. Yeah. And, and just to have a kid and not have any direct family is hard enough. Yeah. Um, because those times where you're just like, mom, come over for an hour so I can sleep mm-hmm. is not something that we can do. So to have a cancer diagnosis and to go through everything that we were going through as a family um, was hard enough. Um, so we're very lucky um, that we had the friends that we did. Um, a friend of mine, Victoria, um, she set up what's called, it's called the calendar. Um, it's called lots of helping hands people. It was, it was an opportunity for me to update people about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, I I could send out like announcements and tell people what's going on. People can sign up onto this website and they would get the notifications to their email and they would also sign up on this calendar. So this calendar um, is um, allows people to sign up for um, meals. So if I was getting chemotherapy one day, people could sign up for meals. Um, that they, they would bring us a meal that day, so we didn't have to worry about dinner if we spent the entire day at the hospital. Um, or Zoe Care, like that's how all my friends signed up. They would sign up via the calendar. Um, to take Zoe out for an hour. So luckily I I had this calendar and it was really hard to accept help. Um, But what I did learn in that first year is that people aren't going to offer help if they aren't willing to do it. Yes. So for all those struggling, even if you're a struggling mom, if someone's going to offer you help, you just take it. Mm-hmm. Like, don't be that big person and don't let your ego get in the way. Um, because at the end of the day, people are going to offer to help what they can. And I, um, it took me a while to um, accept that, but it was, it was, I was super grateful for all the people that did help. I love that you brought that up because that was one thing that I wanted to ask you about. And I think it is so true. They want to help you. That feels good for them too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you can allow that, I think it just is wonderful for everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because people in, in my situation, a, a mom, a new mom, who has a cancer diagnosis and is trying to save her life while trying to raise another life, mm-hmm. people feel helpless. They don't know what to do. Like you want, they, they have this drive to want to help, but they don't know how to help because mm-hmm. there's nothing that you can do. So this calendar gave the opportunity for people to help. Um, yeah. So it was, it was wonderful for those people who wanted to do something. People are like, yes, I can do that. I can make a meal. Oh my God. Yes. I can take care of Zoe for an hour. I can come and help. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was wonderful. Yeah. I love that you told them how to help. Like, this is what we need. This is when we need it. And they were right there for you. Exactly. And uh, yeah, it took a while to get there to the point where I'm asking for certain things, but once I let my ego take the back seat, it was very easy to be like, this is what I need. Who can help me? So good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So went through the radiation, going through the chemo. What happened next? So I went through ke- right after radiation. Three weeks later, I started chemo, which I started on IV chemo. Um, so the chemotherapy had to be um, 
put as close to my heart as possible. So it had to be given through either a port or a pick line. And I got a port, um, which is a tiny little device that sits under your skin, this little bubble. And um, I'm fairly small and skinny. So the port itself was like this, it looked like a giant cyst underneath my collarbone. And I, I hated it so much. Um, but at the same time, I was, I was okay with it because it was giving me chemotherapy. Um, so as soon as I could, I went back to work mm-hmm. um, because I'm stubborn and, <laughs> and, and I don't want cancer to stop me from living the life that I want to live. I love my job and my daughter was in daycare, which I wanted her to be at daycare. Um, I didn't want her at home with me because she, she gets so much more out of daycare than being at home alone with me mm-hmm. for her development. So she was at daycare. I was home alone until I was done my restrictions where I couldn't lift. I went right back to work and as a physio and I did pelvic floor physio and I did normal physio, so orthopedic physio. And I went through um, chemotherapy every two weeks. So every other Thursday, I would take the week off or the day off to go in. And the following day, I would have my chemotherapy on me because my chemotherapy, I went in for about four hours, four or five hours to get my dose. And then my type of chemo, um, I went home with a little bottle that I had to wear for 48 hours to let the chemotherapy slowly drain into my body um and i would try to hide this little bottle while at work and i would try to hide my port so Mm. i would wear scarves so luckily it was winter and i would wear high cut shirts and scarves almost every single day just to hide my port i would hide as much evidence that i was going through what i was going through because i didn't want people to judge me so yeah, I didn't want my patients to know what I was going through and I still don't um, because I didn't want them to be like, feel pity for me. Oh, she's going through all this. I'm not going to go to her because mm-hmm. I can still, I can still do my job and still help them. Um, and as much as it's, it sucks going through cancer and having a baby, it gave me, a greater perspective of how to treat my patients, especially pelvic floor patients. Because right after having Zoe, I had a a bladder prolapse. Mm -hmm. So people who came in and had a prolapse, I could really relate to them. I could be like, oh my God, yes, I know what it's like to walk a hundred meters and think your vagina is going to fall out. I know that feeling. I can understand that. These are your exercises. This is what I want you to do. And like, all the things that go with prolapse. And then people who'd come to me post-radiation of a cervical cancer diagnosis or people who would have someone going through, like their family members going through a cancer diagnosis, I, I really related to those patients in a greater sense. So in a way, in a way, I was kind of grateful that I had cancer because mm-hmm. I could really relate to my patients on a deeper level. Um, mind you, I would never, ever ask or wish for cancer. Yes. Um, 
but yeah, so I went through chemo for four months. Um, I continued to work. And then in February of 2018, I finished my last chemotherapy and I had a CT scan, did blood work and everything was clear. And I was officially cancer free at that point. So. <sighs> okay. Wild. I just have a couple things I want to ask you. Of course. When you went back to work, were you working like normal full days? Um, I slowly worked up to it. Okay. I worked um, as a physio. You're not, um, you don't go back 40, 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. um, you slowly build up your caseload. Like you slowly build up your clients and your patients, et cetera. So I'd work anywhere from two hours a day to four hours a day. And then as the weeks went on, then I'd be four hours up to, I would never work more than seven hours. So I'd work seven hours a day or five hours a day on my shortest day. Mm -hmm. um, but I would just like go, go, go because I felt really good. Other than mm -hmm. knowing I had cancer, I like, I felt really, really good. The chemo would make me feel on the Thursday of getting it. I wouldn't feel sick. On the Friday, I would work in the morning and I wouldn't work in the afternoon. I'd go home and nap and then I'd feel gross over the weekend. And then by Monday, I'd feel fine. So I okay. would work what I would. Yeah. Okay. And I just want to say five to seven hours treating people is a ton. <laughs> yes. For people who don't know what that's like. Oh my gosh. That is so much energy physically yes. and emotionally. So that is a ton. I was also going to ask you, so thanks for saying it, that you felt like how just your symptoms of the chemo. So, oh, yes. yeah. So you didn't feel wrecked from it at that point. No, on the Thursday of getting it, I wouldn't feel sick or groggy on the Friday. I would feel just tired. So I would take a nap in the afternoon that I'd feel good. And then on the weekend, I'd feel tired and nauseous. Okay. So I'd feel just, just like I had a hangover. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I wouldn't feel uh, as much as I went through chemo, I'd feel pretty good. My mother-in-law, um, went through the exact same chemo and the exact same diagnosis, um, a few months before me, which was crazy for my husband to have his wife and his mom go through everything. Wow. Um, and she's not the healthiest woman possible. And she had one round of chemo and it sent her to the ICU. Oh gosh. So everyone reacts differently. She did not do chemotherapy after that one round where I in total have had over 30 rounds of chemotherapy and I feel then I take it pretty well. Mm -hmm. It's because I'm probably young and healthy. Okay. Okay. So February, 2018, you got the all clear. Mm -hmm. What was that like for your family at that point? It was amazing. I had friends from coast to coast call crying because they're so happy. Um, my family, everyone was just so, so happy, um, for me. However, in, at the back of my mind, all I could think of was this little dark cloud of like, what if it comes back? What if it comes back? Yeah. So it was, it was hard for me to be happy because I was so scared that it would come back. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but 
it was it was great. Everyone was happy. I went back. My my hair. Luckily, I didn't lose my hair. My hair thinned out during the chemotherapy, mm-hmm. um, but my hair came back to its full lushness. Um, I I just looked healthier. I started putting on more fat. Thank God. Um, I, I was able to do things that I wanted to do. Like I was just a healthier person. Um, mm-hmm. so for those few months, I was, I was a healthy, happy person. Mm-hmm. Cool. And at that point, Zoe was over a year, right? Um, at that point, yes. Okay. Um, yes. About. When was she born? January. She, she was born in January. January. And then Tw- I got died. Yeah. In 2017. 2017. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you get the all clear. What happens next? So I get that all clear. I live life as, as you should. Um, at three months, I go in for routine blood work just to make sure that my cancer markers are good. Um, I get a phone call from my doctor saying that they're fine. However, they are a little high. It could just mean nothing. But instead of coming back in three months, we want you to come back in a month. So obviously that entire month, I was anxious to hell. Mm-hmm. I was, I was so scared. And, um, at four months, so the month later I went in for that blood work and it came back higher than it should, which deemed, um, another repeat CT scan. So I did a repeat CT scan. And at this point we are sitting at, um, June, 2018 and, essentially the CT scan showed that the cancer was in my lymph nodes. So the cancer had come back and it was in my lymph nodes. Um, And at this point they told me that it was um, incurable. They didn't have a cure for this. So what that means is essentially it's a death sentence. It's saying that scientifically they have no cure for this. And my doctor told me at that point that um, on average, people live for about two years after. Mm-hmm. So that, that was hard to hear, oh, obviously. Yeah, it's horrific. Yeah, and we're about, yeah, just over a year past that at this yes. point when we're recording yes. it, July 2019. Yes. Oh, so you get that diagnosis and what, what are the next couple of months like? Um, we didn't have to start chemotherapy right away. Um, that's what my doctor said. He's like, we don't have to start it right away. We can start in a month or two. Um, but we're going to start a different chemo, um, to help suppress it. And the game plan, the long-term game plan for me was, <clears throat> Um, try one chemo. We do that until it stops working. Um, and then at that point we try a different chemo. We do that chemo until it stops working. And then we try something else until it stops working. And then we do clinical trials until they show that they don't work. And then long story short is that by the end, there's nothing they can do. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start chemo in about a month or two. So, I, um, 
wanted to just, I had to tell all my friends and family the shitty news. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I wanted to live life as best as I could and not let it get to me. So I continued to work um, <clears throat> because I love my job. At the end of the day, I love my job. Um, so I wanted to just continue to live life as normal as possible. My daughter continued to go to daycare. My husband continued to work. Um, his job, <clears throat> his job gets really busy in the summer. And when I was diagnosed, it was at the end, it was at the very beginning of summer. Mm-hmm. So I would say our marriage kind of went to shit after yeah. because everyone deals with this news differently. And my husband has um, issues and mental health issues with depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and work gets really busy for him. So he just threw himself into work. Mm-hmm. He would avoid coming home because he would avoid this news as much as possible. He would work as much as he could. Um, and I would say, Hey, let's do this. Um, let's go on a canoe trip or let's, because that's what I love doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what our family loves doing. Let's go on a canoe trip because next summer, who knows what next summer is going to be like or whatever. He's, he would just say, not now I'm busy. The summers are really busy, maybe later. And I always push everything um, to a later date. Yeah. Um, and that was really hard for me because you never know. You just don't know what life's going to throw at you. And um, our mindsets of this was very different. He was, he was ignoring everything. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to be realistic about it. And it was really hard on our marriage, especially having a kid. They, they say that if you can get through the first year of <laughs> having, raising a baby together, then like that's hard enough in a marriage, but throw yeah. cancer in the mix. Like it's yeah. really fucking hard. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. So it was really hard on our marriage and I didn't start um, the chemo until August. Um, so I started the second dose um, of chemo in August and Um, What that looked like was every two weeks we would do this type of chemo. And at that point I started an Instagram account um, because I was, I was sick and tired of explaining it three billion times to people of how I was doing. So this Instagram account I created was to keep things as real as possible of exactly how I'm doing. Um, how good I'm doing, how bad I'm doing, what I'm doing to educate people. Um, Because before I got diagnosed with cancer, I thought chemotherapy was chemotherapy. I thought you could only get one type of cancer. I I thought, yeah. I was just going to say that to you. I I didn't know until you're explaining this right now. I know. I had no idea. I thought that, oh my God, I'm going to get chemotherapy. I'm going to lose my hair. No, there's so many different types of uh, chemotherapies, which I didn't know. and what a port was, what a pick line was, what all these different jargons that I had no idea about. So I wanted to use my Instagram account to educate people about what exactly it's like to go through cancer, the ups and downs, 
um, like on my Instagram account, I show pictures of what they took out of me, what the cancer looked like, what it looked like to have an ileostomy, what an ileostomy is, um, what a port looked like, um, what it's like to know that you're not going to live to see your child grow up. Um, all the realities of what exactly I'm going through. So then people could follow along. And then when they saw me, they didn't ask me, Hey, how are you doing? They knew how I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then we can just move on past the whole cancer thing. We can just have like a normal conversation. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. Which was really nice. Yeah. I have, I just really appreciate your sharing on all this and on that Instagram page. And we can link that in the show notes if people want to follow along too, but it has been, it has been so nice to just to know what's going on in your life and in this journey, like people, they want to know and they just want to see how you are. So it is appreciated. And I can imagine that it could be hard to share these things at times. And it is such a vulnerable journey, of course, but again, Mm -hmm. it is appreciated. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So your husband, obviously having a difficult time, he was managing in his own way, you and your other. Um, So you started chemo again in August and then what happened from there? Um, I, we kept doing it and at the Oh, no, no. Then then there was this one time in September, we were planning a trip out west. Um, We were planning an RV trip, we were going to fly into Vancouver, um, take an RV trip with Zoe and Nate and myself in September. At the end of September, we're going to go through all the Rocky Mountains and end up in Calgary where Nate's dad lives and see him. And a few days right before our um, trip, Um, I came down with this crazy pain in my abdomen and long story short, um, it showed that I had, remember how I had, um, my ovarian transposition surgery. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So they, they originally moved my ovaries from my pelvis to, um, below my ribs during one of, um, during my major surgery in the October where I had the C-section like scar and they gave me the ileostomy and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they managed to move my left ovary back down to my pelvis, but my right ovary was happily tucked underneath my ribs somewhere. So they were, they just left it. Mm, anyway, okay. that, that right ovary um, caused some problems because what happened was um, that right ovary grew a cyst as ovaries do. They mm-hmm. all have cysts. But because mine was so vulnerably tied up um, on uh, holding, I don't know what it was holding on to, um, but it grew a cyst. This cyst became um, just a normal size cyst. And before it imploded or whatever, like normal cysts do, it, it became so heavy that it caused my ovary to fall mm-hmm. and fall and twist and twist and twist. And it grew to the size of a grapefruit and all my CT scans in the ER showed all that they saw was, um, this 
ovary that's growing and growing. So everyone thought it must be cancer. So I was going in for another surgery to get both my ovaries removed. Mm -hmm. So they went in and they had to open up my C-section like scar again to remove it because it was so big. And when I woke up, they told me the good news that it was not cancer related um, because the ovary itself was not cancerous. It was just a giant hemorrhagic cyst. So the cyst just blew up with fluid and blood and it became so heavy that it twisted and torted so many times that it just, the fluid had nowhere to go. So it just grew and grew and grew. Um, so I had to get that removed. And that was right at the beginning of a family vacation. So that had to be put on pause. And um, once again, I had to stop work for a few weeks because I had this major surgery, abdominal surgery. Um, once again, I couldn't lift Zoe for four or six to eight weeks. Um, and so they took that out and that was again, um, in September, October. And we continued with, um, so that was like a little road bump. Um, I asked them to take a photo of it so I can put it on my Instagram, but they forgot because they were so excited <laughs> that it wasn't cancerous that they forgot to, um, take a photo. Um, and, um, what else? I don't know. And then I just kept going with chemo. If anything, the side effects of chemotherapy were the things that were slowing me down. Um, I lost a lot of my hair. Um, I didn't go completely bald at all. Um, but it, it my hair thinned out a lot. Um, and that was, that was really stressful for me because I didn't want anyone to see that I was going through what I was going through. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't want to lose my hair. Um, another major thing is um, one of the chemotherapies caused me to um, have a skin rash. Mm -hmm. And most people don't blow up as much as I did. And if you look at my Instagram, you'll see their skin rash. And it looks like acne. It looks like tiny little pustules all over my face, all over my chest and my back. Um, so we had to go on medication to stop that. And I had to go on Accutane, um, which I don't know if anybody's been on, but if you know what it's like to go on Accutane, it just dries out everything. Mm -hmm. And it does a number on your liver. So um, I had to say goodbye to my nightly glasses of wine. Mm -hmm. I know. <laughs> Just one kick after another. I know. One, <laughs> kick me while I'm down. I wasn't allowed to drink any alcohol. Ah. Oh, so I couldn't have gosh. any wine after that. So um, we started Accutane and I couldn't drink wine. Um, and um, I don't know. So all these side effects were um, were getting to me. So every, every now and then we'd go to three weeks instead of two weeks. Um, in December, when we were going for another family vacation, um, we went to Disney. I started getting a, a crisis. I started getting what's called the pain crisis. I started getting crazy low back and lay a uh, low back pain and hip pain. And when I came back from Disney, I went straight to the ER and I was hospitalized for about a week until they sorted out the pain. I was then put on hydromorphone. Um, and I've been on hydromorphone since then. So they sorted out the pain. They couldn't figure out what that was causing the pain. 
um, they, they knew since, so one thing I forgot to mention is in August when they, before they started the chemo, they wanted to get a baseline of everything. So they did a CT scan. So it was in my lymph nodes along mm-hmm. my spine. And they also did a bone scan and found that it was in my bones. So at this point it's in my bones and in my lymph nodes. And also at this point, um, or later on the, the chemo was working. So it was shrinking the tumors. Um, my markers, my blood markers were going down. The chemo was working. The chemo was still working in December. Um, even though I had my pain crisis, but what we discovered was I can't go three weeks. I can only do two weeks, Mm -hmm. um, of chemo and I kept doing chemo and a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago now. Yeah. It's because it's July now. So a few weeks ago. So in June I did another CT scan and the two, at this point, the chemo stopped working. And my tumors um, have grown and I was going to go to another trip out to BC to visit friends and frig and me, I just can't get out of Ontario. Um, <laughs> oh. I, I know every time I try to do a vacation of some sort, I try, it comes back bad. So I went to go on vacation and my pain came back. So in my back and my hips and my legs, and this time I was hospitalized for about two weeks and this was just a few weeks ago. So we switched from chemo to immunotherapy and um, we're still on immunotherapy. I'm still at home with right now, I take methadone every single day and I'm on a fentanyl CAD pump. So uh, a pump that um, slowly injects fentanyl into my body every single day. I have so much fentanyl in my house. I can make millions. <laughs> um, it's ridiculous. And um, so right now I'm on immunotherapy, um, which we're hoping will work. If that doesn't work um, for my type of cancer, um, immunotherapy has worked wonders for other people who have lung cancer, multiple myeloma. It's proven in great things. However, in colorectal cancer, um, very, very few people react really well to it. And the people who do react to it react really, really well to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're taking the risk of of it working really, really well or not working at all and the cancer proliferating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we're at. So I'm at home right now. I'm not working um, because I don't know how long I'll be on this pump for, um, the, the pain has caused me to double over. So I can't stand up straight. I can now, um, I've worked on physio. I've gone to see my physiotherapist. Um, and I've worked on standing up straight I can almost stand up straight, but not for, I can't walk around for too long. So because of that, I'm not working yet. So I told my bosses that for now I'm not coming back to work, which is killing me. Because I want to try to maintain as much normalcy as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so now I am at home with my two cats. My daughter is at daycare. My husband is at work. And I try to stay as busy as possible um, while taking lots of naps because I'm on fentanyl and methadone. Um, 
and hopefully this immunotherapy is working. Oh, thank you for explaining all of that. Mm -hmm. so, so many details, I know. Okay, so this is where we're at, July 2019, hoping that this pain stays managed, that the immunotherapy is kicking butt in, the, in your body right now. Mm -hmm. So can you just talk a little bit more about what mothering is like at this point for you? Oh, yeah. Um, it's hard because she's two and a half. She's not a dumb kid. She knows what's going on. So as much as I'm, she knew that I was gone on vacation for a week and then I came back and I went straight to the hospital. She went to visit me at the hospital and then I got nightly passes. So I would come home at night. So when she'd come home from daycare, I would come home and then I would go back to the hospital after she's gone to sleep. Mm -hmm. So we tried to maintain as much normalcy as possible. But when I would come home, she's like, mommy, you're home. You're actually home. Mm -hmm. You're here. You're actually here. And like, she knows, she knows what's going on. And to see me walk around with this little bag attached to me, because I have to carry this cat pump around with me all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, like she knows that I can't play with her. And it's, it's really hard because I can't stand up straight. I can't, to sit on the sidelines and watch your kid play with your husband is fine. But to know that you can't get up and do it when she would call you over and be like, come, yeah. come play with me, come play mommy, come. And I'm like, I can't, I can't. Or I would try and I'd be like, no, mommy stand. No, mommy can't stand. Mommy's going to sit. Why is mommy sitting? And like, she would ask a lot of questions of, um, of why. And when I was in hospital, I got in touch with the child life services in the hospital mm -hmm. because I wanted to know what is the way to talk to my child. Like, I don't want her to associate being sick with going to the hospital mm -hmm. to being sick with dying. Um, like what is, what are some techniques of her being okay with this situation and the inevitable of when I do pass, like, how is she going to talk? How is she going to deal with it? Mm -hmm. um, so it is, it's really fucking hard to know that you're not going to raise your child as much as you want to and have your husband who, who is wonderful and is an excellent dad, but there's definitely those scenarios where I can just definitely do something in a much better way than him. Yes. yes. <laughs> because they're, they're trying, they're trying their best, but at the end of the day, mothers know best. And so I can just do X, Y, and Z better than him. And those few weeks that I was gone in hospital, he had to learn how to grocery shop, how to plan meals, how to cook meals, how to take care of Zoe and cook at the same time. And him complained to me about everything that I was already doing. And I was just, I would just like, a part of me really wanted to laugh because I'm like, Nate, are you kidding me? Like, how can you not go grocery shopping and bring Zoe at the same time? Do you not know how to do that? Like, it's not that hard, but for him, he doesn't know how to do that. Totally. Because it's too hard for him. So for him to step into mom and dad role, yeah. was really hard 
because it made him realize everything that I did around the house, everything that I did around the house and how hard it is. Yeah. So that was, that was a really hard transi- transition for her, my husband. Yeah, totally. He has to step up in such mm-hmm. major ways, which mm-hmm. obviously is so challenging for everyone. Um, and also not a terrible thing for Zoe to witness as well. Oh, for sure. sure. Yeah. Oh, these are such... Yeah, such difficult situations. And I think that, like, as you mentioned, she's two and a half. It's so different than a baby. Like, she mm-hmm. sees she sees so much. And she she's, like, trying to put things together in her mm-hmm. her brain. What, what else? You mentioned a little bit just with your marriage and the struggles that have arose, of course. What is it like right now for you all? Um, we have... In the last few months, um, my husband and I have gone to marriage counseling, um, awesome. like couples counseling, which is amazing. Yes. Um, I think that every couple, whether you're dealing with cancer or not, or you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with, I think it's great because you learn so many tools to learn to communicate. Yeah. And I think it's wonderful. So my husband and I, every um, since March, have gone to couples counseling every two weeks because we were just fighting so much because he was just sad. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's just sad and he doesn't know how to deal with the situation. Yeah. And I try to talk about it and he doesn't like talking about it. So, um, we've gone to couples counseling to learn ways to talk to each other, um, outside of counseling in a very productive way. Mm -hmm. And, in front of our daughter, because in front of our daughters, like what she sees us do is what's going to, what's going to resonate with her. Um, so for us to learn to show love and appreciation in front of our daughter is, um, very important. Um, so we've been going to couples counseling and then since my most recent trip to the hospital, I think has made him recognize the reality of the situation and since then he's been nothing but um he's been amazing he's been awesome he's been doing like I feel sorry for him he's he's doing the job as a dad going to full-time work single-handedly taking care of our daughter because I can't do much and he's taking care of me at the same time like like he is overwhelmed I'm sure with everything but he's been such a great support and I think couples counseling um has helped with that Mm -hmm. um and he's just been thrown into the situation he's been forced to adapt um so it is hard on our marriage um hard on our um, our sex life too Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the last for sure and I think that's something that we should touch on because since getting my one ovary removed, um, my hormones are running at 50%. So mm-hmm. where I was the one always initiating sex before, cause I like having sex. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he no longer sees that initiation and my lot, my sex drive is significantly lowered yeah. and that affects our marriage. And for him having, 
intimacy is a way to reconnect. So yeah. when we were fighting, if we were intimate with each other, then he would feel this amazing bond between us and he would forget about everything. We would forget about everything. We're like, why are we fighting? I know, I know it's stupid. And then we would realize how much we love each other in that moment. But because I didn't want to have sex, we never had that reconciliation um, between us. So that was really hard. And then me being in pain for the last few weeks, we this is the longest we've gone not having any inter intercourse um, mm -hmm. for a few weeks. Um, and I know a lot of people out there go months, but I, we we're not one of those couples that like to, we like to have sex every, every so often. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's really hard on our marriage as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for all of that. Um, I think this is such important stuff to talk about mm -hmm. and so many people, will resonate with this in different ways and especially those who might be on a similar journey as you. I think that just hearing you talk about it is probably so comforting for them. That's I love that you all have like you've sought out counseling. You're feeling supported by that. Randy and I are big fans of counseling as well. And I was thinking about this before we jumped on the call today, wondering like how the hell do you even begin to manage your mental and emotional health through this? And I was wondering if you were going to counseling, mm -hmm. do you go, have you gone for yourself or has it been couples for now? Um, oh, I did go for myself, but I found personally that talking to my friends yeah. is better for me because yeah. talking to um, a counselor, which works for some people, um, it doesn't work for me because they would just sit there and be like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I know what you're going through. Or they would just, they would say stuff that wasn't, I don't know. My friends would say, say things because they knew me. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, that's really hard. And for the last few months I've been going to my friends being like, my husband's doing this. My husband's an asshole. And my husband, like, this is really hard on my marriage and all this stuff where they know my husband and they know me and they can counsel better because they know both of us. Yeah. Um, so the way that I deal with all of this is I, I talk to all my friends. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whatever you can do that feels good for you. Mm -hmm. I think that that is so important. Um, okay. So we'll wrap up here soon. Mm -hmm. I know that you have lots of other things to do today probably mm -hmm. as well. So what is like, where are you at right now? How do you feel physically, mentally, and emotionally in July, 2019? Mm, right now, I'm honestly, I'm on a low point. I'm on, I know that this is a bump in the road. I'd like to stay hopeful and think that I'm going to be that awesome person that immunotherapy is going to work for me. And so I'd like to stay hopeful with that. Um, but being tied to, um, a pain apparatus and having all these meds that are really bringing down, bringing me down, bringing down my mood, bringing down my energy, bringing everything down is just really gotten to me. Um, being tied in my house um, is not like me. I'm not a homebody in any sense. I also love my job. I love connecting with people. I love helping people. Um, 
especially pelvic floor people, my, all of my patients have had to go to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really, it is really hard for me. Um, but it's also, it's also a good challenge. Um, it's because I'm on a low point, it's, you can't go anywhere but up. So if anything, it's given me goals. Um, I'm at home. Why not try to do yoga? Why not try to work out? Why not go into uh, meditation? All these things that I can do at home while I can, while I have the energy, let's spend my time doing that. Um, the reality is that, yeah, I might sleep a little bit more right now because of the medication. So those times I know I can sleep. Other times I know I can do other things. So I have to take all of any opportunity, any life situation that I'm in, I try to, I try to spin it into a positive way. And I know that the reality is what it is. Um, but I'm trying to take it and work with it and mold it into the best situation that I can. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. You're such an inspiration and just knowing <laughs> you and knowing your personality, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. can imagine how fucking hard this stuff really is for you. I know you love to be so physical and you love to be outdoors mm-hmm. and this stuff is just really friggin' hard. So I, as we wrap up here, is there anything else that you think is important that we didn't touch on or anything you want to end this episode with? No, everything we talked about in great detail. So, um, I'm, I'm happy to share my journey with people and, um, if anybody has specific questions, I'm happy to answer them, but, um, you can find me on my Instagram if people want. And, um, yeah, no, that's it. Can you just say the name of that Instagram account? Yeah. Um, it's hard. Uh, hopefully you can put it on your somewhere because yeah, it's my, well. my, it's, it's Snyga an unexpected journey. Um, that's my handle. Um, so it's my first name underscore an unexpected journey. It's all underscored. So hopefully you can put it up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where you can find how I'm doing. Amazing. Yeah, we'll for sure link that in the show notes of this episode and then on our Instagram page as well. I cannot thank you enough for this. It is absolutely so wonderful to just hear your voice and to talk with you. And then for you to share this with us is really appreciated. So thank you, my friend. You're very, very welcome. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 